everybody. Welcome again to episode number two of the Cavalier Wrestling Radio. I'm your host, Jacob Hughley, and we are bringing you an awesome one in this second edition of the University of Virginia's Wrestling Podcast. Um, in this episode, we just actually just got off the phone with the assistant coaches at UVA, Trent and Travis Paulson. We had a great time chatting about uh, you know, everything from their start in wrestling, their career, um, the transition to coaching, and, and even some crazy stories that they've had uh, along the way, and, and especially with Coach Garland. So we had a great time talking to them. I'm very excited to be bringing you guys this episode. It is a long one, so strap in, have a good time, and here is TNT. First of all, we're, we're excited to be on here. We appreciate you having us, and as far as the team, today's actually our off day. We go two days on Monday, Tuesday, and then we give them a full rest day today. So it's pretty chill. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks again for having us. Cool to be on here. I listened to a couple of Garland's talks, and you guys do a great job. And so keep up the good work. But um, yeah, with COVID, we have, we've had to adapt a little bit. We did a phase back to the mat. And at first, maximum we could have in the room was six guys. And now, we're up to 12 and so we run four different workouts throughout the day and just have to keep it 12 or less and we're wearing masks and we're just kind of we want a season so we're doing everything we can to make it happen and do everything right and follow the protocol so um it's a little different but we're making it work yeah i saw the uh i saw the pictures on social media with you guys practicing um how is have you i mean i assume you guys probably still wrestle too right so how is wrestling with, you know, a mask or like a sleeve or whatever the heck you want to call those things? Does it even work? <laughs> it's it's not ideal to say the least, but uh, we got to play the game right now. Yeah, it's uh, what we use is kind of a gator. You pull it over your nose and mouth, and when that thing gets wet, I know waterboarding's not legal, but I feel like we're doing a throwback and and testing the waters on that because when you try to breathe in the Oh. The fabric almost goes inside your mouth, and when you bring it out, it's like, I don't know, it's tough. It's a, it's a different test mentally. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm, I think that was the first picture that I saw of any of the, the college programs doing that, and I've seen a couple since, but, uh, man, that's crazy when I think about that. Like, can't breathe, like saying sweat going in and out of your mouth the whole time. Like, <laughs> Doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun, but uh, yeah, we just tell our guys they're going to be tougher than the competition because we're one of the few teams that are doing it. Yeah. Hey, man. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys kind of hit on it a little bit, talking about like a little bit of like, you know, getting back from COVID. Um, I wanted to just take a real quick step back to when this all went down. Um, obviously, you guys have been on other podcasts. You've talked about it other places. At least I've heard it, but, um, you know, we're speaking directly to uh, UVA fans how was it when that news all came down um, just kind of what was your experience like what were your emotions surrounding that whole event when everything shut down at the end of the year it was uh it was a huge heartbreaker and obviously being grounded in faith helps you deal with that adversity but when you're building something and you have a great chance to have two athletes in the NCAA finals and you tell them their season's over that's a very, very hard conversation to have. And I mean, I think Jay will be better for him because he gets to come back for a year and he's that much more hungry. But Jack being a finalist the previous year and having momentum and that being taken away, it was just 
it's kind of a, a punch to the gut. And you don't really have the right words. You're just kind of there for them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Echoing off that with, um, it's kind of one of those situations where you don't really know what to say because there's nothing you, you really can say that'll make a difference in that moment. It's just being there, checking in on them, making sure they're doing all right. And yeah, it's tough because we wrestled, uh, we were beating guys that we'd lost to during the year at conference and um, ended up beating Tech at conference. And then we're heading in, ready to make some noise at NCAAs. And when that got plugged, it was pretty frustrating. But I think as leaders, when things are going great, how you act matters, but it matters even more when things aren't ideal. And so we always are talking about focusing on the controllables and how you respond to adversity matters. And so it was a real important time to lock in and uh, be composed and just kind of consistent message from all of our staff. We're on the same page and it wasn't easy, but I felt like we handled it the right way. And like, like right now we're doing everything right to have a season. It's like, that's all the focus is controlling what we can control, getting tested, wearing masks, doing everything right, because we don't want to feel like that again when nationals are coming up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to meet Jack and know Jack after all this happened. Um, and he's, you know, we've talked a lot about the team and how it looks and, you know, what guys are doing over the summer and all that kind of stuff. Um, what have you guys seen? So now that you have them back on campus, right? Um, I don't know if you guys are going like everybody at once during practices or, or the groups or whatever. Um, but what are you seeing from the guys that are coming back? Are um, they generally coming back, you know, hungrier, prepared, or, you know, like just what's the, what's the kind of overall vibe and, and how are the guys looking coming back from this crazy event? Um, I'd say extreme excitement comes to mind. A lot of our guys, the guys that really want to win have been innovative during these hard times. They went and got wrestling mats and put it in their basements. They found garages, they found MMA gyms. So the right guys have been training throughout this whole pandemic. And the ones, one thing I've actually been surprised about with the limited mat use and the limited weight rooms, a lot of our guys have still come back stronger and better technically just because they've taken it up upon themselves to become students of the sport and, and just get better on their own. And that's, that's the culture that coach Garland's built and that we're really excited to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. One, one thing I wanted to add on that too. If you look at our team last year, seven or eight of our lineup, they were sophomore or younger. And so when, uh, we, we kept building as the season went on. One thing I've noticed this year when we're doing groups and we're going over technique, things are happening a lot faster because they have that foundation base with um, the system we show. And so it has been encouraging. We have a lot more experience on our team this year. And Jay and Jack, I uh, love Louie. All those guys were good leaders. But now we have um, younger guys stepping up too and, and jumping along. And so I feel like we're in a great place with where we're at right now. Yeah. Um, you know, going back a little bit, you said, I think uh, Trent just mentioned, you know, them kind of getting creative with their workouts, obviously with, you know, not having everything available to them. Um, what are, are there any improvements or any, like uh, any things that you guys notice when they're back now that like, wow, maybe they learned that during this crazy time, or maybe they picked up on something new that, you know, is helping them out. Is there anything like that that you guys can tell that might have been 
you know, a good thing to pull out of it? One thing I would say, I rolled with Jake Keating the other day, and he's kind of struggled sometimes if he hits the mat, he's in a crackdown, or he gets a little bit extended on a shot, he has a really hard time finishing. And he's made some major connections there. I think he went out to New York and worked with Kendall, and he's, he's just had a lot of great opportunities. And he, um, that's just one example that came right to mind. Another uh, kid, uh, Justin Phillips from Lynchburg, he, uh, he wasn't a highly recruited athlete, but we saw something in camp, and he's made a lot of gains in the summer with limited room and li limited partners and just took it on his own shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I noticed, Michael Batista, who was our starter this past year at 184, and if you have any question of which one he is, he's the guy that's the most jacked guy in our lineup. He looks like a bodybuilder, and he was training in an MMA gym and actually became a, a black belt, and Trent was kind of mouthing off to him a little bit, and Batista was like, what's that, coach? Then all of a sudden, I saw Batista behind Trent with his arm behind his back, and Trent's tapping. I was like, "Great job, Batista! You must have learned a lot of stuff there." But that joke. that was that was made up. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so wow. some nice uh, learning there. The only thing I've really noticed is we're we're working outside a lot more with preseason, and you kind of learn how much wrestling you can do outside. So we've been doing a lot more drills and hand fighting and um, high leg attacks and kind of when you think outside of the box, you can do a lot more than you think outside of the wrestling room. That's been cool because just switch things up. It keeps things fresh and you're doing different things. So that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I can only follow so much, right? Pictures and little video snippets here and there, but um, definitely looks, looks awesome. Looks like you guys are adapting and, um, and I'm really excited about the season coming up. But, uh, you know, this is a good place to kind of transition. I wanted to talk about you guys' competition career a little bit, um, and then we'll get into, obviously, coaching down the line. Um, but, you know, as far as the competition goes, right, it's the first question every single time. How did you guys get started into wrestling, and were there many fights growing up? <laughs> Just since the womb, I mean, in the beginning, I pushed out Trent. And then I stayed in there 20 more minutes and decided to come out. I was a pound bigger when we were born. And so kind of been bullying him around since we were kids. But uh, nonstop fight, it was like, it, it just came down to who was pretty much more, more pissed off at the time. It was like, one of us would win a fight, the other one would be crazy mad, waiting for the right opportunity. And then they get the other one. So it was like uh, a battleground at our house in the farm growing up and so we were ornery ornery little hellraisers pretty much we were always um we weren't evil but we were definitely high energy and yes. curious and so we we needed to uh, direct that energy towards something positive and my older brother started wrestling in high school and he's when you got to get these guys in there because we're fighting all the time against each other and we got in it we loved it we couldn't get enough and it's kind of how we got into it. I'm sure Trent will have something to add. Yeah, Travis says he pushed me out, but I think I won the match and got the hell out of there. And he uh, he was all tangled in there. It took him 20 minutes to get reoriented just so he could come into this world. So, I mean, you can interpret that how you will, but we've been going at it ever since. And I remember in kindergarten, they let us be in the same classroom together, and the teacher left to get supplies. And when she came back, we had pushed 
all the tables and chairs apart and the whole classroom formed a circle around us and we were wrestling. And that was kind of the beginning of it. And they never let us in the same class again, all through high school or middle school, or the whole nine. But um, yeah, endless amounts of energy. We were kind of the the kids that the parents told the other kids to stay away from because we were kind of known to be rambunctious. But um, wrestling definitely uh, enabled us to put that energy towards something positive and and something we kind of rolled with. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you know, the first thing that popped in my mind when uh, when Travis said the the whole thing about obviously him staying in longer uh i thought you know is that still the same with saunas like who's who, can you still <laughs> stay in the sauna longer or like how's that work <laughs> um yeah but uh i mean it's cool to hear kind of the story i, I imagine it was probably awesome to have a brother growing i mean sometimes it's awesome sometimes it probably pissed you off but um awesome to have kind of a, a training partner brother around your size and age um when when did you guys like at what point did you figure out all right we're actually pretty good at this like we can you know you know do x such you know place in the state go to college whatever like when did the light bulb click that you guys were good uh i i i think it, from the beginning we always had a high confidence and having a twin brother same age same size it's we always considered it an unfair advantage because before we entered a wrestling room we were doing a lot of combative things and building toughness so once we actually started practicing it was like another day at the office i remember our, our very first wrestling practice at the council of panthers we did the beginner practice and then we stayed for the advance and they asked anybody in the room to raise your hand if you want to challenge for the starting spot and it was literally my first practice and i raised my hand and i wrestled the coach's son for the spot and I actually beat him so I was in the lineup for a couple weeks before Travis had the balls to raise his hand but um <laughs> we actually kind of jumped uh right into the sport and had success right away we didn't really have that learning phase and take the lumps I know we always had winning records and um from like a kid's age group I, I was the first person in the state of Iowa to win six state titles so I mean those those first couple of titles I really didn't know what the heck I was doing I was just out there being tough and just scrapping. Yeah, I remember at that practice when Trent raised his hand, I was looking at him like, what the hell are you doing? You don't even know what you're... And he gets in this weird scramble and somehow lands in a headlock and pins the kid. It was actually the uh, coach at the time, son. So that started off things great for us. But um, yeah, right away, we just loved it. And if it came down to toughness, we would figure it out. And so, I don't know, we just kind of loved everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously everything you just said, right. I had a lot of fun doing it, had a lot of success all the way up through high school. Um, at what point did you guys decide on Iowa state and what drew you there? Right, were there other schools that were kind of in the mix or, or was it just Iowa state? We, we went on five visits. Uh, I think in the mix we're looking at, Nebraska was only about 50 minutes from our house in Lincoln, and we liked Oklahoma, Iowa State, you and I. When, with um, Iowa State, we liked it because we weren't fans of uh, negative recruiting. Sometimes we'd go to on visits, and the coach would be like, you don't want to go there. They got this and this, and they aren't going to do that. And so that kind of pushed us away from some schools. But at Iowa State, Bobby Douglas was just – a wealth of knowledge and when you're around him you could feel it he's he's such he's a um 
a living legend pretty much. He He's done everything you can in wrestling and he wants to do it for the right reasons. He wants to teach and he, uh, I, I've never met anyone that knows as much technique as that guy and man of character, there's no gray area. So it was like, when we were around him, we felt it. We, we saw the respect everyone had for him. And then on the mat, the year when we were going on our visit that year, they finished second in the country as a team. Caleb just won his fourth NCAA title. Um, a lot of great things were going and they brought in a great recruiting class the year before us. And so um, we liked the guys on the team. We liked the message. Um, we were passionate about freestyle and Greco and Bobby Douglas always had an eight year plan. You're going to win national titles and you're going to train for the Olympics. And so they kind of had everything we we're looking for and they just stood out kind of above the rest. Yeah. Um, Trent, do you about the same kind of same thing? Yeah, uh, Bobby was the first coach that sold us on an eight-year plan where you could all have your needs met and not have to relocate once you graduated. And then uh, Heskett and Kale and all those – and Zach Roberson and all those guys, uh, Aaron Holker, that were having success that we were kind of looking up to help with the transition. Bono had just graduated, was entering coaching. It was just kind of – it felt like the right fit at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, you know, growing up in Iowa, obviously ended up going to Iowa State – um, were you guys were you guys college wrestling fans at all? Were you an Iowa or Iowa State kind of you know side or or the games like changed? Yeah, the games changed so much. And when we were coming up, it was you know what you could catch on Iowa public television, and we didn't have cable growing up, and so we were kind of abused in that area, and so we just got whatever we could find, and you'd have you know. You didn't have DPR, so you'd have to be at the right place at the right time to catch that duel. And you'd get a monthly magazine. It was like one magazine or whatever it was. And once a month, you'd receive information on wrestling. And so Trent and I actually didn't follow college wrestling all that much when we were growing up. Like, it's crazy how spoiled these kids are now with all the content they have and they can watch film. And so, yeah, we didn't follow it a ton. We were just focused on our the current team we were on and and building and getting better. And so like, sometimes we go on visits and there was guys that national champs um, were all Americans. And I would look at Trent and be like, who the hell's that? Like, <laughs> I didn't even know what's going on. So yeah, we didn't follow it a ton. It's, it's changed a lot. Yeah. I think that's a huge difference, right? Like uh, you guys age older, like all around, like before, I don't know, 2010 or something. Right. Pretty much everybody you talk to says the same thing. They're like, yeah, we walk into the room and we see, you know, you probably knew who Kale was, but like you might not have even known who he, known who he was, right? You didn't even know who any of those guys were. I think that's that's just wild uh, living in the era that we're in now. Um, and yeah, like you said, there's such a such an advantage for these kids nowadays getting to Yeah, to even guys. Kale, like um, when we're on the visit, I think we were like, who's that guy? And just people around us like, what the hell are you talking about? He just won his fourth, didn't see a title. We're like, what? <laughs> so, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and, and when you guys did end up, you know, going to Iowa State, um, I'm just curious, you know, obviously your brothers, you went the same place. Was there ever thought of splitting up or was it all, no matter where we go, we're going together? Always a package deal. We, we fed off each other. And one thing cool with Trent, like he never accepted anything but my best and it was the same way for me and so if we if we ever saw the other one slacking or not doing something right 
they, there wouldn't be a secret on how the other one felt. They'd let them have it. They get we get in each other's face and say, "What the hell are you doing?" We wouldn't ever let each other go astray. It's like uh, we even um, since we're done competing, we're coaching. We've always it's been kind of a god thing, but we've always stuck together and we push each other and motivate each other. So it's kind of been a special thing that we've we've been able to hold on to all throughout. Yeah, um, man. I mean that I just keep thinking how awesome that must have been to, to grow up together and, and have that partner that was always there. Um, you know, and, and when you got to Iowa state, you mentioned, you know, all these big names that were in the room, right. Kale just won his fourth title. Um, bunch of, I mean, fantastic program, right. You said second in the nation. Um, how in the world do you go about adapting to a college room like that? You know, not only are you, you know, top of the food chain in your high school room, probably beating on everybody, to moving to a college room, but you're also moving to one of the best college rooms in the nation. So how, how was that? I think we were blessed in high school with really good coaching with Keith Massey, who wrestled at UNI and is a student of the sport and was always evolving his coaching game. So technically, I didn't feel like once we got to college, we were too far off. And maturity-wise, we were actually – I felt like we were pretty strong by the time we hit senior year. So unlike a lot of college kids, when they get thrown to the wolves their first year in college, I don't feel like we took as many lumps as most kids do just because of our technical level and our strength level. I remember doing groups with Bono and Holker, who's a returning national champ. And I, I wouldn't say that I was beating on those dudes as a freshman, but I was definitely, we were scoring points on each other. It's not like it was a huge lopsided thing. Yeah. Um, my brother, like we see it all the time, the transition from college to high school. And again, Trent nailed it with Keith Massey. He's one of the best coaches uh, we'd have the pleasure of working with. And part of that is what, what we've learned is he has zero ego. So he learns from anybody. He can learn from somebody in the room, an Olympic champ. And so he's always evolving and working on the different stuff he's working on. So we're blessed with great technique. And when we got in, I think part of the, part of that transition is not backing down. A lot of the incoming freshmen, they see the, the guys on the team and they're like, holy crap, is, is, that, uh, is that Aaron Holker? Is that whoever? And so our, our mindset, and it had to be because we're always challenging each other, was never back down. And so when Trent and I wrestled each other, we'd get in some crazy flurries, but neither one of us was backing down. And so when we took a step into that room, we didn't care what they've done. We didn't, we didn't care about their credentials. It was, we weren't backing down. And I think that's a huge part of the battle. It's a big mental part of it. So we, we stepped in right away, expecting to win, expecting to beat those guys. And so I think that that's a big part of that transition that guys make from high school to college. And some of them aren't blessed with a great high school coaching and technique. So obviously that plays into it, but I've noticed, Trent, I'm not sure on you, but I've noticed that mental thing a lot. Yeah, it's like a lot of the kids nowadays, they go into college like like that's the big brother syndrome. Like they're the little brother, so they're not supposed to beat them right away. But the right guys, the guys that are ready to win at national titles, a true freshman, just go with the attitudes like who gives an F, let's scrap. They're grabbing the best guys as much as they as often as they can. Another coach that um, helped us a lot in high school as well in the summers was Zach Dominguez. He was uh, trained at the Olympic Training Center in Greco, and he always pushed Greco on us and would 
he took us to senior nationals and he actually traveled with us too. So between Massey and Dominguez, that was kind of a power coaches that we worked with quite a bit. You can kind of see what Zach's doing with MWC. Yeah. Yeah. Dominguez is putting in like Nebraska on the map, producing a ton of talent. So yeah, definitely blessed there. It's crazy. And like his freshman Trent, Trent won Midlands his redshirt freshman year. And I think he won outstanding wrestler. My um, freshman year at the UNO Open, I had Tony Davis. He graduated. He was training for the Olympics, and I beat him in the semis. And so it's just like right off the gate, it was never uh, uh, it was never okay to take a back seat. And so I don't know. I think that the the mental side of that's having a twin brother that doesn't accept anything, um, but your best obviously plays into it. And that's an advantage I felt like I've had my whole life, but. That mindset's key, too. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you guys had a leg up on the competition, right, with that. I mean, it's, it's really hard to beat having that twin that's right there with you, um, you know, as deep into it as, as you guys were. And that you guys kind of already answered what my next question was going to be. I was going to ask, you know, what was the, you know, if you're telling a high school kid that's going into college now, like, what's the difference between being good in high school and being good in college? Um, and you kind of really hit on that, that mental aspect, right? Um, is there... Is there anything else that, you know, just any old regular person going into college, right, that might not have a twin brother or have the same background? Um, what are, you know, the important parts of transitioning that success to college? Having a mindset of, so one thing I've noticed, and it's kind of a reoccurring theme, the guys that sometimes you got the guy that's ranked number one in the country, and he might come from, let's, let's just throw out a scenario, like Blair. Blair High School, they have their private school, they have great coaching. You kind of have almost a college room there. You get great coaching, you see great competition. And so they go into a college room and they've, they're ranked number one. They're, they feel like they can do it all. And they, they come in the room and they wrestle someone that challenges them. Sometimes if they get beat or it's really tough, like they weren't, the superstar they were in high school, they lose it. They're like, what the hell's going on? What, what am I doing wrong? Why, why am I not dominating? And so just maintaining, it's not about just because you're not dominating doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It's about keeping that never back down. Like our team philosophy is out tough, out attack. And if you're focusing on those things, usually things take care of themselves. And so focusing on the process and the toughness aspect versus me, 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 or why am I not? I think that plays a toll. On the other side, we have guys that weren't state champs in high school that come into college with a chip on their shoulder and they want to prove themselves. And so it's kind of, it's interesting thing that goes on when you're coaching. You're like, so sometimes you do look at those guys who don't win their state title and you're like, man, this guy, this guy wants, will, will literally do everything he can to win. Versus sometimes the guys that have done it, it's like, why isn't this working instead of what do I need to do more? Yeah. Um, do you have anything to add on to that trend or? Yeah, it's definitely a def uh, delicate balance. Obviously the blue chip, blue chip kids, like a recent example, Logan Stever, he was always number one and he won four titles. So that panned out, but like Jordan Burroughs, I think he was the 150th recruit and you can see what he's done. And I think, what Travis was trying to say, like with these blue chip kids that have great coaches and great training partners, they're kind of a level above in high school. So they never really get tested. They just are that much better. 
so they can just keep scoring points and taking advantage. But once you hit college and those guys get a little bit better coaching and technique and it's more about toughness, sometimes you can see those kids go the other way. So it's really on the visits and on the conversations, you got to kind of get to know the kid's personality and, and they can put on a show. And it, it, that's probably the hardest thing with recruiting is determining if they really, really love the sport still when they've hit a high level and haven't really been tested. Yeah, absolutely. You guys had, uh, you know, incredible com competitors around you in your weight classes, right? You guys like Poeta, Mark Perry, uh, Johnny Hendricks, all these guys were, you know, not just good during that time, but guys that kind of transcend time that, um, you know, fans of the sport look back and think about how good these guys were as well as you guys. So what were some of the, hardest matches that you guys had in your college career like maybe you know one a piece what do you guys remember thinking back that sticks out one uh poeta definitely sticks out he was one of the greatest competitors i faced throughout college and for a white dude that kid had extreme speed if you weren't mirroring his head and and uh trying to make him react to you you were going to be in trouble and if you just let him shoot freely and are respecting his fakes and He's getting in, and he had a really good finish rate. Um, another person, Ryan Bertine. Um, yeah. He was I, – I faced him in the semis my um, sophomore year of college, and he was probably one of the – he was arguably for me probably the best kid I wrestled for the time in college just because he was so – he was really slick. He had re great cardio, and he had really, did a really good job of finishing quickly. Uh, and then if I had to say a third, probably Matt Gentry. Um, I think his senior year was my sophomore year. He was the returning national champ. I upset him, but we he had beat me at Midlands earlier that year. And we went back and forth throughout freestyle as well. And then one more, Brian Stiff. We battled in high school and college. And I'm really tight with Brian. And he was just a really, really tough cut guy that brought it every time. Yeah. Yeah, what about you, Travis? Any any guys that stick out to you as you know some of the hardest ones you you faced in college? Um, yeah, so going through, I was kind of blessed with uh, I I got to see a lot of great competition, and so I look back on that and I'm thankful for it because I got exposed to so many different studs, and one of them, uh, Mark Perry, he was uh, one of the weirder guys to wrestle because in college wrestling, usually you think of like uh, Hey guys, upstairs in the room. No, not right now. Oh. <laughs> My two daughters. Yeah. Oh, you good? Five year old, four year old. But um, with Perry, he was. You know, when you think of college wrestling, you think of like, let's say, typical Iowa guy, strong, forward, heavy hands, um, pace, pace, pace. But with him, he was more. When you grabbed him, it more felt like a rubber band. He wasn't strong. He was uh, crazy flexible. And he had long arms, so, like, he'd kind of fake and fly out and play the edge a little bit. But then he'd shoot. It wasn't always the best shot, but if he got his hands locked, he wasn't strong, but he had good leverage. So he was really good at pulling the leg up if he got his hands locked. And then on top, just the feel he had there, it was pretty special feel. Okay. And uh, so with him, I learned a lot wrestling with him on uh, – just completely it was like an enigma completely different feel than I'd felt and weird scrambles and so 
Um, I actually had him in the finals in Midlands my senior year. I lost to him in the duel in overtime, and he, uh, I saw him a couple weeks later at Midlands, and the difference was just watching film and learning from it. And um, when I beat him the next time, it was about making him wrestling in my best position versus in quick finishes versus uh, letting – he was so good on top, I just went neutral and made him wrestle where I had an advantage. And so um, he was one of them. Hendricks was one of them. It seems like we wrestled um, – I, I don't even know how many times we wrestled, but it was always either a riding time point or um, I threw a club, he threw a club, a, a penalty point, or it was just always something crazy and double overtime. Just uh, he was a great competitor, and I liked that when you watch him wrestle, he never respected who he was wrestling. I liked the never back down mindset with him, and he had really good confidence. Like when I think of confidence in guys that I wrestled, two of the more confident guys that I've ever competed against are Hendricks and Aspirin, and it was like their belief in that they were going to win is they they believe that they're going to win as much as they believe the sun's going to come up tomorrow. It's like crazy strong belief and so with ask with asking i remember the first time i wrestled him they called me to the mat i ran over and he was in the center of the mat kind of like doing a little jump dance and he had this kind of i don't want to say a cuss word a poop grin this poop grin he was staring at me like i was like what the hell is this guy smiling at like what's wrong with this guy and i remember it was a pretty good match i ended up losing and then the next time i wrestled him i made sure when they were going to, I looked at what mat we were going to be on, and I made sure I was the first one in the mat. And when we went out there, I was the one in the center with the poop friend looking at him like, all right, let's do this. You want to play games? And I ended up beating him that time. So it's just like competitors like that that make you change and make you learn and make you grow, those are the best ones. Those guys all stick out to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm really happy that we're getting to talk about all this, especially you guys' competition career because, you know, a lot of the the people that are that are following the Cavaliers, you know, are maybe not as much of historians as some of us are, right? They, they don't know all the background, but behind you guys and behind, um, you know, even Coach Garland and all that. So it's really cool to be able to hear, you know, some of these guys you guys wrestled against and beat, and um, you know, the accolades that you had. And I mean, you know, match I think back to is is Travis, you wrestling Hendricks in the the semifinals. Right. Everybody remembers the the Perry Hendricks final. Right. That's like a huge yep. match that people remember, but they don't remember that Hendricks got to the finals via tiebreaker match with you. Right. Yeah. So right there. Super close. Um, that uh, that actually might have cost Hendricks a national title because in his post-match interview, he said the one person I was worried about wrestling was Travis Paulson. He's been by far the toughest competitor I've had to face all season. And now I have Perry. And now I'm ready to win my third title. And I think he kind of underestimated Perry. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's really cool to be able to talk to you guys because, you know, myself, I'm a big fan of, of all that happened in that era. But obviously, you guys have the inside scoop on that kind of stuff. Uh, so really cool to hear from you about that. But, you know, college careers, obviously, you guys had fantastic college careers, right? Um, Trent won a national title. You guys were both three-time All-Americans. You know, I, I could list off all this this crap, but it would take forever, and that's not what people are here for. Um, but, you know, it, how did the transition to international wrestling go? I know that, you know, it's different for everybody, right? Some people get out, and they're gone, they're done, 
right? And some people want to hang around for a long time and, and compete. How did that go for you guys? And when did you realize you wanted to compete afterwards? It sounded like you wanted to in high school. So yeah. before we before we were um, out of college, like when we were true freshmen at, in college, Coach Douglas sent us to the Sunkist Open. There was no like transition period really for us. He said, you guys are on an eight-year plan. You're going to go to the big events and get used to it now. So by um, my junior year in college, I remember at the world team trials, I had Joe Williams first round, who was the number one seed. And I took him out. And then the second round, I had Owens. I think he wrestled at Northern Illinois. I'm not sure. And then I beat him. And then I was in the semifinals against uh, Tyrone Woodley. And it went third period clinch. And he got the leg and finished. And then he won. Or then he, in the finals, I think. Wasn't it Tyrone Lewis? Yeah, Tyrone Lewis. What did I say? You said Woodley. Oh, yeah. I wrestled Woodley in the finals of universities. Anyway, um, Tyrone Lewis. um, he won third period clinch and then he won a three. Then uh, he had Pritzloff in the finals and Pritzloff won in a three match grinder. And so already by my junior year of high school, I felt like I could make teams. College. Yeah, sorry. Hey, stop correcting me. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> third year of college, I felt like I could compete with all those guys. It was just a matter of uh, making a couple adjustments. And Travis, the same way. We, um, he was in the university national finals a couple times and and he was already wrestling at a high level and once we made the transition um i think travis's first uh college tournament after graduating he had cunningham in canada and beat him and i think he was ranked second at the time so we i mean it's kind of like from high school to college college to international we had a a pretty good freestyle and greco knowledge from what massey and dominguez exposed us to and then um, Bobby Douglas and Kale and those guys elevated as well. Yeah, uh, you kind of nailed it within high school. We had already kind of wanted to go that direction. And part of that was the great coaching we had. We'd both won uh, Fargo junior national titles and had success on a national level. And we're passionate about those styles. And part of that was uh, we, we liked wrestling on our feet. We were good there. And so it's a little more the challenge is the fight on your feet and then with parterre turns and transitions. And so I think that we like that aspect of it too. And so we, we were locked in on competing after we graduated. And part of that, like uh, Trent mentioned his junior year, almost making that team. I remember heading into my senior year, I got fourth at trials. I had Joe Heskett to make a national team and I was one, one match away of making that. And so it was like, we knew we could do it. We were right there with the best guys. And with um, opportunities like training with Kale Sanderson and um, all the workout partners we had, Nate Gallup was sticking around in training. Zach Roberson was training. And it, it, iron sharpens iron. So it was like we, – Hartung we, helped us a lot too. Yeah, Tim Hartung is one of the better coaches I've had the pleasure of working with as well. And Cody so, Sanderson, Bono. Yeah, Cody Sanderson's one of the smartest guys in the game. He's always yeah. got a book in his face and he's always learning. Big fan of him. And so we, we've been blessed and we, we knew that with who we were surrounded with, we could, we could be world champs and Olympic champs. It was just a matter of doing all the right things and believing in ourselves. And so it was uh, just right away we had the confidence that we could make world Olympic teams. That first uh, Olympic year, 
in 2008. Um, we both made national team. We were top three, and we were in the hunt to make teams. And so just from then on there, we were always on the national team playing, going overseas. We'd go to any tournament we could where we thought the best competition would be Uregan, went to Iran, Ukraine, Belarus. And so what you learn and who you're around in those situations, wouldn't trade that for anything in the world because it made us not only better competitors and athletes, but better coaches because we always tried to maintain that mindset that Keith Massey had of no ego, learn from anybody, be a sponge. And so we've been around a lot of the greats and um, I already mentioned Kale and Bobby Douglas and Hartung and all those guys. So it's like then Zeke Jones and Kevin Jackson and Brandon Slay and overseas the guys in Kendall Cross and overseas that coaches we work with, it was like, we've just been blessed. And we've, I mean, we have notebooks full of technique and we, we've always learned. And so it's just been a, such a great thing. Man, I'm just, I'm in awe thinking about all of the, you know, Olympic gold medals, medals, world medals, all of those guys that you're talking about that they were around you during that time. That's incredible. Just the wealth of knowledge. I mean, it seems like it was pretty, seamless transition from high school to college from college to international right because with with that transition the only thing I can think of when uh we were freshmen Kale was training for the Olympics and so uh, this was when he was working to make the Olympic team in 2004 and I remember in the summer he would stay out on the mat and Trent and I would rotate in on him so he'd stay out there the whole time and we'd just keep rotating in and every, all the guys around our weight, it's like, yeah, we were in the mix right away. But I don't think that I've ever got beat like I have wrestling Kale. He um, is crazy talented, driven, cardio. He's got everything you, you think of when you think of a great wrestler. And wrestling with him, it was just like, it was crazy how fluid, the setups, it was like his setups are so good to finish is easy because when you land, he's already there and you're off balance. And um, what we learned from him was a ton. And so, yeah, we didn't have a transition unless we we're wrestling uh, Kale. And part of that, though, he was a lot bigger than us. But for him to stay out there and us rotating on him, it was just like it was cool um, opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it had to be beneficial for everybody, I would think. Um, got to be awesome to have you know a mentor like that when you go into college um but i mean you, you kind of hit on it you know going to a bunch of different places you know you guys are both multiple time national team members world team members um i, I got i got to admit i let it slip through the crack but i found it right before this you got to tell me about it you guys did wrestle a match right i've heard that throughout the years you got matched up a, a bunch right because obviously it's the same weight and a lot of the time, it sounded like you guys kind of forfeited to each other, maybe didn't wrestle the match. But you hit in the, I think it was the, the finals of the challenge tournament one year, right? Yeah. So, obviously, you got to wrestle that one. So, um, how did that match go? So, so, part of it was Trent made a world team at 145. He won a national title in 157. And then, I don't know how he did it, but he made 145. If you watched him at weigh-ins, he literally looked like he was in a concentration camp. It was a tough sight to see. And I don't know how he did it, but he got to a point where he's just like, I can't make that weight anymore. It's just like, I, I actually think it's life-threatening. So um, 
I said, if you can't make any more, let's just do this. And um, it, the crazy thing is world team trials were in our hometown. Like how random is that in Council Bluffs, Iowa? And we met in the finals of the mini tournament. Whoever won that match had to wrestle Andrew Howe best two or three. And we've wrestled together all, all of our lives. And so like mentally getting ready for that match is the hardest thing I've ever had to do because we knew each other so well. It was always like he knew my best stuff. I knew his best stuff. So it was always like that second and third position that we were going to have to get to to finally get to a score. And so scoring on him was harder than anybody I've ever wrestled. And so it came down to a clinch, flip of the coin. And I went and I wanted, after we went in the back, we were camped out in the same area. I remember um, sitting there, we're just uh, cooling down. And he looked at me kind of with a pissed off look. And he said, you better effing beat how, because I know I would have. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! I just said, consider it done. Yeah, and, and you did, right? Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you guys' uh, international careers are pretty pretty close, right? Looking at them, you've made I think about the same number of teams at all levels. Um, yeah. So you know, at the end of the day, well, I actually it, made a few more, but <laughs> with that, um, on that day, it was a tough day for me because. I can't remember who I had first round, won that pretty easy, but then I had Askren and then I had Trent and then I had Andrew Howe who was sitting out best two out of three. And if you watch Howe wrestle, I mean, win or lose, you're always gonna walk off that mat with a black eye, sore neck. It's just a tough battle with him. And so um, to make that team, it was a long day of wrestling and I get to wrestle a lot of greats. And so, I don't know that experience was crazy for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys say you wrestled, you know, a lot of greats, but at the end of the day, you know, you guys got the spot. So um, that's, it's really cool to hear about. And, you know, looking back, I know I got to get into your coaching careers, right? Um, so looking back at your, your competition careers, are you satisfied? And, you know, is there anything that you wish you could have back? I wish you could, you know, do differently. I asked Garland the same thing, and he, uh, he was like, "Whoa, man! Nobody's ever actually asked me that." <laughs> I had to ask you. Did Garland say, "I wish I would have uh, wrestled more freely in the NCAA finals"? Yep. Knew it. I know you like the back of my hand, Garland. <laughs> um, for me, um, so when I made the world team in 2010, one frustrating thing, so they took the national team over to Azerbaijan and it was a golden grand prix. And it was almost like a mini world championships. There was a ton of great competition. And I actually beat a world champ in the semis from Russia, Farniev, and he was tough to wrestle. He'd beat me the year before. And in the finals, I got, I lost third period one point. It was a crazy match with a couple of time bronze medalists. And, but in the quarterfinals, I had a, a guy from Ukraine who was a couple time bronze medalist tough. And I remember just wrestling at a really hard pace and I felt the guy give up. Like he just couldn't keep the pace. And in the third period during the battle, I just pinned him. And first round in the world championships, that's who I had. And in that um, Azerbaijan Grand Prix, a couple days later, we had 
number one in the U.S. versus number one in Azerbaijan. And the guy from Azerbaijan was a world silver medalist. He was a tough kid. Um, but, like, early on in the match, he was uh, almost kind of like a Mark Perry build, skinny and tall. And when he'd go to the initiate a tie, he'd grab a hand and a leg and just go right to a fireman's. It was a quick transition. And off of that, I went to go chest wrap. And it was kind of a weird scramble where both of our body weight was on my one leg. And when I twisted and rotated, my tibia and fibia, I'm horrible at anatomy, but the two bones hit each other and twisted. And it created like a pothole type um, situation on my knee. And it was one of the more painful injuries I've ever had. I, I couldn't finish the match. And right when we flew back, I got an MRI. And basically, when the two bones hit, it was um, there was bone chips and cartilage floating around in my knee. My knee was swollen. And that bone on bone, whenever it hit like that, it was my knee would just swell up. And so this was like a month before the world championships. And um, when I was going through that, it was like, you know, training, I, I got surgery, they went and cleaned out all the, the bone chips and cards floating around in my knee to try to clean that up. And then I was on the mat a week later. And I remember if I got in a, like the wrong position and my bone would hit bone, my knee would swell up like a watermelon. And when that would happen, they just go in and drain it again. And I remember that's probably one of the more frustrating um, things that have happened with me in my career. And, but again, focusing on the controllables and doing everything right and still doing good with your weight. I remember I, we did simulation matches and I had to beat Herbert in the finals of a simulation match just to keep my world team spot. And at the world championships train alongside Trent, um, I almost looking back because I couldn't compete to uh, my fullest capability. And at the level Trent was at, I almost think one regret Obviously, as a competitor, you always want to go out and compete and give yourself the best chance. But since I was 100%, if I could take back time, because he was on national team, he was traveling with us, giving, giving him that opportunity to compete. Because I know, if I'm honest with myself, I wasn't anywhere close to where, where I could compete at the highest level. And so I ended up losing a close match to the guy that I'd penned a month earlier, and he went on to win a bronze medal at the world championships that year. And so just to give Trent that opportunity, because I think if I would have, he would have been in the hunt for a world title, or I think at the very least, he would have been a bronze medalist. Yeah. And that's, that's my only regret because everything else, win or lose, I learned so much and it, it makes you who the coach you are. And I wouldn't trade any of those experiences because they shaped and it's about the, a lot of people have talked about accolades, but I, I'm a big fan of it's about the journey and who you've become along the way. And so not a ton of regrets there. Yeah. Yeah. Echoing off Travis, I think how you live with some things that don't go your way is knowing that you gave max effort every workout and controlled the controllables. But one thing looking back, um, we always had the goal, like whatever thing we were in, we were going to reach the highest level, like in college, national title, um, senior level. You make a team, you're expected to get a medal. And not getting a senior level uh, medal kind of still eats at me a little bit. But throughout our careers, 
between Travis and I, we beat 11 guys that have during our training time or since then been a world or Olympic uh, medalist. Some of them were champs and knowing like the guy that kind of took over my weight, Jordan Burroughs, he's been one of the best wrestlers in the history of USA wrestling. So that helps you deal with it a little bit, but still um, we're happy with our careers, but I think there's very, very few people that if you said, if you're completely satisfied, are you? I think there's maybe one, two, three guys that might say yes. There's always something that you feel like you could have done a little bit better at, but I think you live with it by the way you trained and controlling the controllables. Yeah, I think that's always an interesting question to, to ask there from you guys, because like you said, no matter the success level, there's always going to be something, right? And it's always interesting to hear what that is. Um, but, you know, it got you, you know, like Travis said, it got you guys to where you are today. Um, it, you know, propelled you guys into coaching, right? Um, so, you know, at what point did you guys decide that you wanted to get into coaching, right? Was it always a, an idea in the back of your mind or was it, you know, kind of winding down at the end of international careers? So for me, when I got that, I had that injury after the world championships, I had to get surgery and it was a long, it was an eight month recovery because they went in and pretty much did a cartilage plug because if they, if I wouldn't have addressed it, it would have been like knee replacement by the time I'm 40 because it's so much uh, arthritis and bone on bone. And so they went in, it was a great successful surgery, but it was long. It was non-weight bearing. I couldn't put weight on it for eight weeks. And I'd lay in a bed and a machine would straighten and bend my knee while I slept. So it was just kind of a crazy thing. But during that time, I couldn't train. And I was on the sidelines, but I was still getting paid through the cap or the Cyclone Wrestling Club. And the volunteer coach coaching position opened up. And I was like, Coach, I'll step up and do that because I, I obviously can't train. I might as well be doing something. And so we always thought it was an option we didn't know for sure what we wanted to do my dad owned his own construction company and so that's something we thought about taking over we had a farm we had some options but just uh getting into coaching then and understanding how rewarding it is when you help someone else accomplish their goals and we have strong faith and we've had great mentors and for us it is about serving and giving back and um holding guys accountable to a standard and so just going through that and made me realize that I do want to coach and it's something I'm passionate about. And after I was a volunteer coach for a year, I think the following year I was bumped up to full-time assistant and then head assistant and just kind of transitioned from there for me. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Trent? Yeah, just, we've always loved the sport and the higher level, you get and you get so much wealth of knowledge you feel like you gained all that knowledge for a wheel uh, for a reason you want to give back and it just feels good to uh see a young man transition from a boy to a man not just through training but the way he thinks and the way he deals with life and adversity and it's just kind of cool to just be a small part of that process and Travis and I wouldn't have gotten where we are today is if we didn't have great mentors. So we want to be able to do that for other people. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I'm a high school wrestling coach. I feel the same way. Got into the same reasons. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, a lot of the time I feel like I get more joy and I get more out of actually coaching than I did when I was competing. Um, it's, a, it's a really cool experience. If, if people haven't done it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, uh, also like we talked about that senior level experience, how a lot of people struggle with it, right? They kind of like hang in both of them and like maybe don't know when to give up on, on the career and go into coaching or, you know, whatever, right? It's a kind of a crazy time. Uh, how was that transition for you guys from competing? Like, all right, I'm done competing to coaching full time. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough transition because when you're competing, when you're an athlete, you got to be a little bit selfish. It's like, you got to get what you need in for that day. If you want to be a world champ, you obviously need to do X, Y, and Z to be in the hunt. And when you make that transition, it's just a complete um, 180. So it's no longer about you whatsoever. It's, it's about the guys in the room. And let's say if there was an odd number and you wanted to get on the mat, it's like, no, hey, you guys go together. We're not going to have a group of three. And so you're standing on the sidelines making sure they're getting it in. And the biggest thing, one thing that I learned as a coach is, as an athlete, um, it's almost you're entitled and you don't even realize it because uh, you're just, you're surrounded by great people. And so at tournaments, how much you're pampered, like uh, carrying, like I remember Hartung or Sanderson, if we were going walking a long place, he'd grab my bag and carry it. And it was like, at the time, as an athlete, you're probably like, oh, that's cool. But, you know, I got a competition coming up. It's, he probably should be doing that to keep my legs fresh. Versus uh, when, when you're a coach, it's like you don't realize how much coaches do for the athletes when you are an athlete. And so changing roles and being a coach and um, serving, you do, you do understand it is a lot of work. But if you're in it for the right reasons, it doesn't feel like work because you're helping others. But um, just give them, it just gives me more compassion and respect for the, the coaches and mentors I've had along the way because how much they did for me. And I almost um, regret I didn't thank them more because they did so much. But you don't even – you just focus on competing sometimes and doing these things that some things slip through the cracks. But And the other thing was, like, I know what motivates me, what gets me uh, out of bed to to train and do the right things. But sometimes the toughest part is – finding that thing that motivates who you're coaching because everybody's different I think everybody would agree Dan Gable was one of the best at that he'd find whatever it was and put his finger on it and find a way to motivate and so that's that's one thing that like a lot of coaches know technique and they know the x's and o's but communicating that technique getting people to buy into it and the motivation behind it to get guys to really go out and execute that's that's kind of been the fun slash challenging part of coaching that I think that we've, we've gone a long ways in. Yeah. One thing echoing off Travis, uh, he mentioned the coaches carrying the bags and the server head pillar with uh, tournaments. One thing I've noticed, which makes zero sense is I'm probably twice as exhausted after coaching all day than I am wrestling all day at a tournament. Like wrestling sure. five matches. Yeah. Five matches that'd be a vacation in comparison to coaching 15, 20 dudes for five matches all throughout the day. You're on your feet the whole time. You're emotionally involved in every match. By the end, you're just like, have the hotel, give me some takeout. And let me freaking go to bed. Cause I'm done. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. hundred percent mental, like emotional roller coaster. like same way, even in high school, right? I get home, you know, five, six, seven o'clock at night. My wife wants to go see a movie or something. And I'm just like, 
really, can we just like lay down and just do nothing? Because I'm done. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, you know, when you guys got into coaching, right? It, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, looking back over, you know, your career, it looks like you started off, uh, you know, well, I guess a little bit at ISU. Um, there was a year at Nebraska back at ISU. Um, you know, what, what was the, the, what are the challenges when you're getting into coaching, right? You're hundred percent into coaching competition career is gone. Um, you know, just, I guess, elaborate a little bit more on, on the challenges that you face getting in there. So when I was getting into coaching, you just think about athletes and grabbing them and trying to help them as much as you can. And one thing, and I'll get into uh, how great it is at UVA, but you'll learn. I've, I've worked with a lot of different assistant coaches, Reader, Yaru Washington, Troy Nickerson, Kevin Jackson, Volker, Trent, Volker Manning, um, just a lot of different coaches. And I've experienced kind of everything you can think of with coaching. And I've, I've worked with guys where um, it, it's crazy. I think with wrestling naturally – it's, it's you versus another person, so you have to be confident, almost kind of have an ego. And some some coaches are like, hey, hey, man, if you want to win, you need to you need to just work with me. Um, but let's just uh, – don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Let's just start – let's start working on this. If you want to win, this is what you got to do. And that, that kind of stuff. And then I've been around coaches where it's like – we, we were blessed with Bobby Douglas because I told you he knows so much technique. He used to joke that um, I've forgotten more technique than Dan Gable knows. <laughs> he used to go off That on was that, one of his go-to one-liners. <laughs> but he'd give you a situation. Let's say you're having trouble finishing a single leg. He'd give you like four or five options there. And he'd say, these are all great options. Pick which one works best for you because different body styles and feels one could work better for one person and one could work better for the next. And so that was always a great thing for us. And he didn't try to change who you were as an athlete or um, what you did. It'd be like, you're at Iowa State for a reason. You, you've done, you've been winning your whole life. I'm not going to change what you do, but I'm going to tighten up some technique in the positions you already get to and create more opportunities for you to get to your best positions. And we love that. But sometimes in coaching, um, we've worked with coaches where it was like, there's only one way to skin a cat. This is how we have to do it. And um, so that that could be challenging. But at um, Virginia, one thing that we're so grateful for and reason our, our staff um, is on the same page. We, we all have uh, the same foundation and strong faith. And we're all in coaching for the same reason, to serve, to give back. And it, it just, um, it's been very refreshing working with people that um, there's no, there's no, hey, if you want to be great, you got to do this. Don't listen to that guy. We're always on the same page. We believe in each other 100%. We complement each other technically. We all have, we all uh, know all positions, but Garland's a monster on top. And some of the things Trent and I do on bottom to beat legs in a crab ride, Garland hasn't seen before. And we're, we all do different things on our feet, but 
we believe in each other and we have each other's back and we all are working with athletes. It's not my guy or his guy. It's let's win and let's all just help any way we can. And so when you're on the same page like that and you get along and um, you're all heading towards the same direction and supporting each other, it's priceless. It's invaluable. And so sometimes in coaching, you don't think along those lines, but the culture of the staff and, and how you interact daily um, is a huge determination on how the athletes are going to buy into your process and, and follow your lead. And so that's been um, just phenomenal here. Something special we have. Yeah. Um, and you guys, I mean, you, you hit on it. You talked about Coach Douglas a little bit. Um, what all, I mean, obviously you're, you're super fortunate to have all these guys around you when you're coming up in your competition career. Um, and even in, you know, in coaching roles and, and peer roles, whatever, specifically Bobby Douglas, I mean, one of the best to ever do it. What did you guys take from him and implement into your own coaching? So many things. Um, the way he tests you mentally. Um, I, I, I said this on another pod. I think it was with Ryan Warner, but I remember uh, when I was a freshman, he, uh, he kept screaming hand control to me like at least 20 times. And by the, by the 20th hand control, I, I like stood up and I said, I don't know what the F my uh, hand control is. And then he would just smile and walk away. And he his knew smile that, was hilarious too. It was like the Joker. It was like, yeah, like a huge, like <laughs> bright white teeth, like gotcha. And just doing little things. And then once you get that freak out, then you can sit them to the side and, and, and coach them through why you did it and why it's a learning moment and what coaches are going to do in the opposing corner and what fans are going to do in adverse dual environments and, how it all connects and it's easy to say on paper but when you create those scenarios in practice I think it's a lot more beneficial how about when he told you to get a Turk on me yeah uh we were drill I think we were sparring one time and, and I shot a high cross and knocked Travis to his hip and he crossed his feet and it was squeezing his legs as hard as he could and Gar and uh Bobby kept yelling Turk 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 and then uh I obviously Travis is squeezing his legs as hard as he can. And then Travis whispers to me, no way in hell you're getting the Turk. Like, <laughs> F you. And I'm just like getting pissed and I'm hearing none on both ends. And I think I had another freak out moment and he just talked me through it, but just little things like that, that uh, he was really good when you were exhausted and it was a tough time to be able to bring out your best or be able to test you mentally. So it wasn't as bad when you got in that scenario in life. Yeah. <laughs> oh man uh, one thing funny with uh bobby douglas on that it he get like one technique in his mind and that's all he was hammering that week like the turk anybody off a takedown he'd say takedown turk 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 he'd just be hammering it and it'd be different different uh techniques for the week but one thing that like guys i think in general don't like doing this wearing headgear in practice and but it's an NCAA rule and so if Douglas wasn't thinking about it, maybe there'd be a few guys not wearing their headgear. And Trent would, uh, if Trent was wearing his headgear that day, he'd be like, coach, aren't we supposed to be wearing headgear? And <laughs> that reminder, Bobby would be like, gosh, damn it. Everyone get your headgears. <laughs> That's awesome. He'd like make a big cross with his hands, like cut it, stop, pra stop practice now. And then he would name every name that didn't have a head to the locker room. Oh, my God. 
Is that is that still a rule? Uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's I, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's wild. Um, man, yeah, that that I I can only imagine what it would have been like. Um, I'm sure you guys got a million crazy stories, um, but you know, I, I'm interested a little bit, and, and I don't have all all the exact facts. You guys are gonna have to walk me through it, right? You got into coaching. Um, you're coaching at. Iowa State right before you end up moving to Virginia um, and you know coaching changes uh, I believe Travis ends up with the interim head coach position you know how, how did that whole situation happen um, and you know what ended yeah I mean just elaborate a little bit on that situation and, and maybe how you ended up moving over to Virginia. So at Iowa State um there was a transition with um, Kevin Jackson and this was um, I think February in the year and uh, I won't get into why uh, KJ made this decision. Um, I'll let him speak on that but he um, when that he wasn't going to get his contract renewed and it was kind of a situation where you can step down now or um, we can let you go after the season. And he decided not to finish the season. And, and so when that happened and Dresser was named the next head coach, it'd be kind of weird for um, someone that hasn't coached a team all year to all of a sudden jump in for postseason, right? And so um, I was named interim head coach. I brought Mike Marino on staff. He's coaching in Northern Colorado right now, but just um, a great experience leading a team into uh, postseason and, you know, dealing with all the logistics of the NCAA's um, hotel and all, all the crazy stuff that goes on there. And even in that short time, the amount, the amount of meetings that head coaches have to go to is, um, I feel for them. I feel for those guys because you got to do so much um, just meetings and rules and things that you don't think about with, as a head coach, the administrative side of things. But um, with that transition, when – when we went to the NCAA tournament, um, we went to an FCA breakfast and Steve Garland was the keynote speaker. And we knew who Garland was. We knew he was head coach of Virginia, but we didn't know like what he was about. And so when uh, we heard him speak, there was probably 300 people in the room right around there. We were blown away because, I mean, he's, uh, he's had a rough upbringing in some aspects and like some of his stories you might tell your best friend or a family member, but he opened his heart up to the whole room and shared story after story. And pretty much it was power through vulnerability. And the, the main message was, Hey man, Hey guys, I was here. This, I was low. Um, and now I'm here. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. And it was just a powerful message. And I remember leaving like, wow, that's one of the best um, talks I've ever heard. And we're just like, have a ton of respect for that guy. And then lo and behold, two weeks later at the NCAA tournament, got a call from Garland. Would you be interested in the assistant coaching position? And at the time, I remember thinking like, I have a ton of respect for Steve Garland. I don't know much about Virginia wrestling or what they have going on there. I was honestly a little bit ignorant to all the opportunities they had. And so out of respect for Garland, I said, let's check it out. 
flew out there and I was blown away by the campus, the university, what they provide academically, top public school, and the administrative support Garland has. He's heading into his 14th season here at UVA, and he's the second longest tenured coach at UVA. Just the support he has from the top to bottom and what they give to wrestling. And I didn't know that UVA won the Director's Cup. They were the number one athletic program in the country in 2015. We won a national title in basketball a year or two ago. And it's like, sometimes when you think of UVA, you just kind of think academics and the dorks. And, but they're the athletes. I mean, they're, they're doing everything right. They're, they're uh, winning national titles and getting master's degrees and going off and killing it in the real world. And so when my eyes were open up to that, I was just like, holy cow, you can build something here. This is crazy. You can do things here that you can't do anywhere else. And I remember calling Trent and saying, Trent, this place is special. You got you to gotta check this place out. And I remember at the time it was, I was trying to get them to come for the club coaching position and fundraising position. And um, at the time, I think he was like, yeah, whatever, you're full of crap. And then I'll let Trent take it from there. Um. First off, I want to preface that uh, so we were at Nebraska. Manning was phenomenal. He did everything he said he would do and more. And every coach we've worked with has had like some type of great aspect of their coaching that they got the position for for a reason. And it took a they they really connected with athletes. KJ had great qualities. Every coach we've ever worked with has been a positive influence on our life. But one thing I would say, since we've been in this position with at Virginia with Steve Garland. I don't think Travis and I have ever meshed better with a coach in terms of personality, thought process, um, openness, um, just the way Steve Garland, he empowers his employees and uh, there's a trust there and we're always on the same page. And if there's ever a disagreement, we address it right then and then nothing ever builds up. And that's, that's been one of the coolest things that uh, has been a part of UVA. And Travis explained how we saw him at a prayer breakfast, how he was a vulnerable, and he, he was a phenomenal speaker. But once we actually got here and we're around him, we're like, for once, the dude is backing up what he said in the speech. Like, he's that and then some. He's followed through with every promise. And, I mean, he's 42 years old, and he still gets on the mat dang near every day. And he, he's in love with the sport. And – He's all about the servanthood and he's in it for the right reasons. And it's just, Virginia has been a blessing. And like I said, Travis was, I thought at the time, BS me, oh, campus is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You, you can get a great edu education here. The alumni is insane. I was like, yeah, yeah, he's just trying to sell me. But when I got down here, I was like, for once he wasn't BSing me. This, this, this place is sick. And I mean, Virginia weather obviously is awesome. And there's mountains and huge lakes and hunting and, there's just a lot of cool things to do here on top of wrestling. And then when you sprinkle in the academics and the athletics, it's just, it's hard not to believe you can build something special here. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, it's interesting to hear that because I mean, I know for me personally, I graduated from university of Georgia, huge bulldog fan, no wrestling, but you know, obviously football is a religion down there. Um, I, I know it would be hard for me to leave my alma mater. And if I was in a similar situation, so I think it's interesting and it, it takes a really, um, really awesome experience with Garland, right? And really like a, a trust and a, um, I mean, obviously I've talked to him a bunch of times, like 
the dude is a ball of energy for one. I swear every time after I talk to him, I end up going on a run. I don't know why, <laughs> but it just happens. Uh, it's like, I get off the phone. I'm like, all right, this is download. Cool. What can I do? Let's go run. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting to hear it. I think it's really cool. Um, you know, when you guys got there, right. It sounds like you, you kind of fully believed in Garland and, and really meshed with him and his beliefs and your beliefs. Like it, it just seems like it was a good, good fit. And then you actually get there, you know, what was that process like adjusting to this new environment with this new person who you, you only have really like a surface surface level idea of, right. You didn't know Garland deeply. Like what was the, the feeling out process? Like I was, um, go ahead. I remember the first time after I told Steve I was going to take the job, we had flown out to the U.S. Open, and I ran into him in between the UWW juniors and the senior level guys going. And he grabbed me. He goes, so are we going to meet up and make out later or what? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like totally off guard. Like my first professional interaction with Steve, that's what he says to me. And I was just like kind of a breath of fresh air on how he could uh, keep things light and joke around from day one. And just build from there. And Steve, um, one of his greatest qualities, I feel like, is you never really have to guess what's on his mind. He uh, he tells you how it is. He's straightforward. He doesn't sugarcoat things. And then he moves on. And I don't even know where I was going with that. I just know that it was hilarious. as my first interaction with him. Yeah, his his energy is contagious. And so when you're around him, you just feel it. And he's the hardest working D1 head coach I've ever been around. I mean, he just lives and breathes it. And he's always investing in the guys. And, like, uh, sometimes with coaching D1 athletics, it's like, if you're being honest, you're getting paid to win. And so it can – I've seen situations where it's like the coach, it's more, what can this guy do to make me look good? Or what have you done for me lately? And if this guy can be the starter, I'll pour into him. If he can't, I'm not going to waste my time. But Garland, how much he values athletes outside of wrestling is second to none. And it's like, if anybody wants to buy in and put in the work, we always bend over backwards to uh, meet him there and work with them. And so, like in our program, there's never going to be someone that asks for extra work or individual instruction told no. Like, we'll put in the work and we'll do whatever you want to do to be the best. And so kind of cool that aspect of it and with um garland just Trent kind of nailed it he's the most one of the most consistent guys i've ever met and so like everybody has good days bad days but when you're around him he's consistently the same mindset he goes to bed at the same time every day he gets up at the same time every day he's always um he has to get a workout in every day he's he's strict diet and just the way he lives his life, it's very consistent. That's if you, if you look at great programs and wrestling and pretty much a lot of things in life, consistency becomes the key. It's like good wrestlers, they, they like to train when they're feeling good and things are going great and they're having fun, but they hit a rough patch and maybe they don't do it as much or it's not as hard, but the best ones understand the consistency piece. And when they are sore, they still go in the room and they work and they still get it in. And so he's, he's, um, who we thought he was and more and just a model of consistency has been cool to learn from and grow from. One thing that was cool too, when we came, he had just, he had built a RTC. I think it was his second year. He went on a big fundraising campaign and built a pretty good budget. 
and he said, uh, I didn't really wrestle much freestyle. You guys are RTC. Travis, you're the president. You can be the head coach and just build this thing. And it went from, I mean, guys were training in the summer, but all of a sudden, I think the first summer we had 18 of our 30 guys. And then the next summer we had 32 of our 40 guys. It was a completely different buy-in in the summer. And it wasn't just like one tournament, like universities are hitting. We're hitting four tournaments. We're hitting last chance qualifier, UWW juniors, US Open, U23s. And these guys were just hungry to compete and just keep learning throughout. And I felt like that kind of transitioned our guys' mindsets to not just being satisfied with one to two All-Americans, to we expect if you're in the lineup, you're hunting to be an All-American or a national champ. And that's just the beginning because we're trying to be the best in the world. And just the continued training in the summer, we've seen gains in their foundations and positional wrestling. And it just, it's a win-win. And that's, in our first summer, um, after our first year of training, that's when Jack made the world team. And then uh, Vic Marcelli, fast forward, after he trained with us for a year, he was in the finals to make the UWW junior world team. He lost to Hidley, but he avenged like three losses from that open at the trials. And it's just kind of cool to see guys make connections and, we had uh, J.A.L.O. almost make the University World Team. It's just, it's just carried on well, and we're sending five to the U.S. Open in a couple weeks, and it's just been a fun process. Yeah, the growth, the, the growth with the RTC program has been one really cool thing. I told you we were passionate with Bobby Douglas on the eight-year plan, and so that's something we really wanted to bring. And Trent was the head freestyle coach at Iowa State, and so easy transition – to that role here but um when jack mueller made that world team that was the first uh world team member for uva wrestling and in, in the history and so putting guys on world teams and then since then we've had someone in the finals of world team trials at every single age group um like uh jlo u23 finals trip mentioned that junior uh uww juniors vic marcelli and Mueller making the world team. So it's like, we're not only doing it, we're starting to excel in it. And the guys that are doing it um, are making great games. Jake Keating, the best he did in the state tournament in Illinois was fifth. He went to U23s um, and took fourth in like a 120-man bracket. And he thinks he can win a national title. He's one of those guys where he came in with a chip on his shoulder I was talking about. And so I know that a lot of times when you're talking recruiting prospects, they'll say, what about your RTC? And I think maybe in the past it wasn't um, where it needed to be to be in the hunt for title, but now it is. And now it's something to, to boast about instead of being a whole. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned sending some guys to the U S open. I don't know if that's like, you know, public information or can you tell us who who all's going i mean i'm excited to to see who's going so if we can't can, understand so we got a couple guys that um are not enrolled in school right now uh with covid it's, they'll probably enroll second semester but um so they're a little bit more free and they'll be heading out you'll see them in the brackets and then we got our senior level guys so i, I think it's pretty self-explanatory yeah, we can we can talk about who's competing there. Do you want right, to go, go over ahead. the list? All right, so um, the guy I mentioned, Jake Keating, he's one of them. He took the semester off. He'll 
he'll probably be joining his second semester, but um, he's been training hard. He'll be he'll be wrestling JLO. He's preseason ring third in the country at 197. He he got second at U23 na uh, nationals, and he he was actually pretty green to freestyle, but he's been making a lot of gains and he's been training hard. He'll be going. Um, Evan Hansen, not enough people know about him, but he was a four-time NCAA champion for Grandview. Grandview's dynasty in NAIA. They they run a great program, but um, we actually recruited him out of high school to Iowa State, but um, at the time we didn't have the scholarship available. We needed to get him, and he ended up going to Grandview. But um, phenomenal career, and he's beaten a lot of guys that that are promoted big time. Like uh, he's beaten Colin Moore. He he beat Pat Downey at the Cyclone Open. He's beaten a lot of, of studs in uh, that successful in D1, but sometimes NAI doesn't get the spotlight that it deserves and so he's he's uh he's gonna be making a lot of noise and he'll be in the hunt come the u.s open he'll be going the same weight as jlo but he's a recent addition to our um rtc and senior level program and then um earl hall he'll be going he's been training with us he's uh just stepped up and accepted our volunteer coaching position a couple time uh all-american at iowa state but he's made a junior world team and a u23 world team but He's been training. He's excited to compete. And uh, who am I missing? Anybody? And then Jack Mueller will be out there as well. We'll be there supporting him. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want you to have to say anything you, did, you couldn't say. Um, but I'm definitely – I'm excited to watch, and I'm going to be keeping my eye out. Um, but, you know, going back to, you know, obviously starting off with, with Garland at UVA um, – you know, how were the first couple of years kind of settling into coaching? And um, also, do you have any crazy stories of Garland? I know that I, everybody seems to have them, right? We talked okay. to uh, um, Coach Moore over at Lockhaven. He talked about them wrestling in the office and, you know, people walking in on them wrestling. Um, so any scraps in the office or any kind of crazy stories in those first couple of years? I remember one time we were in a staff meeting. And I probably wasn't paying attention as, as much as uh, I should have been. I think I was on my phone scrolling through Twitter or something. And he was talking. So he grabbed my phone and, like, ripped it out of my hand and spiked it on the table and started, like, staring me down. And so I stood up and acted like I was – I obviously wasn't going to do anything, but I stood up, like, fast. Like, I was, like, pissed. And he, like, jumped out of his chair and ran around and hid behind Travis so then I acted like I was uh, trying to get after him and he like sprinted out of the office and like sprinted down the steps and I was running after him at the same time our nutritionist the head of nutrition and then two of their assistants were walking down the steps at the same time and they like abruptly turned and looked at me and Steve running after each other and I could tell they were like what the heck is wrong with those dudes <laughs> wow. they're That's wondering one funny thing they're wondering uh, where, where the security guard is, how they can yeah. calm the situation down. <laughs> One uh, funny story that comes to mind with uh, Garland, he prides himself on, he still gets on the mat daily and warm. he used to warm up Mueller like almost for every tournament, even at NCAA between rounds and Louis Hayes. And uh, I remember at U23 Nationals, it was the year Mueller made the team uh we just finished up with day one i think you finish after you make the, the quarterfinals maybe and after, it's a two-day weigh-in so he had to get his weight back down and 
I remember if you've been to uh, that tournament, it's in uh, just kind of a big dome in Ohio, and it's AstroTurf, and it's just kind of a mats on a big green field, and you get those little, like, um, black pebble things that are in the AstroTurf. I don't even know what those are, but um, I look at Garland, and he, he's down in parterre wearing his khakis, his dress shoes, and a uh, collared shirt, and Mueller's on top of him, like, with a gut wrench, and trying to turn him and uh, Mueller's wearing sweats and I look over and Garland's face is like beet red he's got a little blood by his nose <laughs> and Mueller's like throwing cross face and I was like what the heck are you guys doing and <laughs> Garland looks at me and goes what I'm helping Jack get his weight down <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, yeah, you gotta screw this buddy <laughs> I, that just story sticks out to me that's pretty funny yeah, so he probably ended up coaching in the corner and, you know, nice clothes with AstroTurf and sweat all over him. Oh, oh yeah, sitting out. Oh, great. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, getting into, you know, your coaching career, you know, I've got a couple, a couple more questions. I promise I won't keep you guys all day long. Um, but coaching career, you know, those first couple of years, you guys had to figure out all kinds of stuff, right? Recruiting, practices, um, you know, the pillars of the program that Garland has, like how, how just kind of tell, tell us a little bit about those first couple of years and figuring out, you know, stuff like recruiting and practicing and um, kind of meshing together as a coaching staff. One thing is probably definitely uh, navigating through the hurdle, their hurdles and there are also benefits with Virginia. So identifying guys that actually can make it here school wise um, guys that, like their income level based on scholarship if, if you're like at a high level obviously you can afford it but if you're at a medium level uh, and if you don't qualify as much sometimes that can be a hurdle so finding a kid that's smart neither comes from low income or is really well off finding that balance um, what else would you say Travis yeah just um, there's eight slots at UVA and yeah. didn't have to deal with that at Iowa State or Nebraska. And so it's really hard to get into school. Um, at Virginia, I think Garland said in 14 years, he's had three guys get in on their own. And those eight slots are kind of a reduced standard so we can get athletes into UVA. And so you're limited to those eight slots. And so you got to be real, like at uh, Iowa State, you, you could do tryouts and maybe let someone walk on, but here you, it's a lot harder to give someone one of those slots because they run out quick. And so really identifying the, that it's a smaller pool of athletes that can handle the academics and the workload. And so a uh, smaller recruiting pool and being smart with those eight slots, I think is uh, something that's unique to UVA and the recruiting wise um, just in uh, training Sometimes when you're training, you, you think, go, go, go. Let's just work harder than everybody else. And, like, it, I've seen it's kind of like a mountain. You keep pushing your athletes to climb that mountain, but guys don't know when to stop, and so they keep pushing. And then what happens? They start falling down that mountain, and they get overtrained, and they get burned out. And so when we're putting together our, our training plan, um, peaking for the conference tournament and the NCAAs and and we imp implement that Wednesday day off and um, active recovery. And so we're, we're pretty creative. We do a lot of individual training and breaking down film. And so 
putting that plan together over the years is something that's it's been a process but um we feel like that we've really put together something that's unique and that has proven to uh produce results and so that's kind of been a big part of the process too i'd say yeah one thing that helps us a lot too being an academic school we uh battle with the ivies a lot and one thing that we can beat them on is you can get a master's degree here in one year so on scholarship for five years, you can graduate with your master's and at the, and you can also redshirt here at the Ivies, you can't redshirt. And uh, if you're in your graduate program, you're not eligible in the Ivy league. So that's why you see like top Ivy league guys in their fifth year. If they took that um, finger licks or whatever, if whatever they did that first year, if they still want to wrestle, they have to transfer. Yeah. Man. Uh, that that kind of sucks. Uh, that's a bad yeah. situation to be in. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, kind of winding down with these last couple of questions, um, you know, over both of you guys, over your coaching career, uh, to date, you know, how has your coaching evolved? Um, and you know, who helped you the most throughout the process? So, so go ahead. So, um, with, uh, the coaching, a lot of times you think technique, strategy and that's a big part of it but um one thing i've learned that that, that makes uh, a huge difference is guys don't care what you know unless they know you care and so checking in on guys like sending them a text or calling them and say hey how, how are you doing in school just wanted to check in hey i saw you get dinged up in practice the other day just want to check in and see how you're feeling and so guys know that we care about them not just as athletes but all around and and so it, the buy-in there is, it's crazy. And so I think a lot of coaches don't take the time to do that. And so we've, we've learned about that. And then um, being on the same page as the staff I touched on, the, we have an overall philosophy of um, out tough, out attack. And sometimes like if you pretty much our message is if you want to wear a UVA wrestling singlet, you need to be the guy out there that, is out toughing you're never going to lose off of toughness off of cardio giving up an easy run around to lose a match and so that's a standard we, we don't say if you're going to wear a uva singlet you have to win every match because then you're focused on results and a lot of times when that's the case people hold back and hold on to leads and they're just scared to make a mistake and so um sorry i was getting a call um so we don't do it result-based, it's process-based. And when you're, when you're thinking out tough, out attack, you're not thinking about getting tired. You're thinking about fighting through every position. And with the out attack, it's a lot of times when people think attack, they're thinking uh, shot, but it's also pressure, snap, create front headlock. It's making people pay when they shoot. It's a throw by, it's, it's uh, winning the control tie fight. And so um, make sure that we either match attack rate or beat it. And let's say a guy shoots on me twice. If I didn't score off of it, I'm not making him pay. Then I sure as hell better be the next guy that attacks him. And when you do that, we've noticed when we're breaking down film in the past, you can work on all you want, but if they go out there and hold back and don't create situations, when you're watching that film, it's like, what do we have to break down? We don't know if you can finish that single leg because you didn't get to it. We don't know this because you didn't get there. But when they buy into that mindset, they get in so many wrestling positions and they get to the legs and let's say they don't finish we'll be like all right you got here 
you didn't finish because your arm wasn't here. You need to tighten this up. Next time you get here, and then they're locking in and they're making that improvement. And so I mentioned that we beat guys at conference that we'd lost to during the year. And a big part of that, I think, is the individual instruction and the film breakdown we do and guys locking into that mindset. Because if you watch the guys in March, a lot of times they're the same person they were at the beginning of the season. And if you're not adding to your game and evolving, then you're not giving yourself the best chance. And so I think that's that's one thing that we do that is unique. And I, one thing, uh, I've had a lot of great coaches, but I respected and I really bought into from Kale. Um, I think right now the two poster programs for D1 wrestling, or if you look at it, it's Iowa and Penn State. And one of them, um, Penn State, it's like the message is wrestling's fun. Having a heart of gratitude, you go out there thankful for the opportunity to compete. And wrestling's fun when you're scoring points. If you're just, I mean, it's not that fun when you're holding on, you're winning by one point, you're stalling and holding off. It's like, it's fun when you're creating positions and wrestling to score points. And you see a lot of their guys, they're great guys. They're out there wrestling to score points and dominate, and they're having fun doing it. Versus Iowa, um, you don't see a ton of smiles when those guys are competing. I don't know if that the message is fun. Fun might be like breaking someone, but their their toughness and in your face and be first and um, winning the hand fight and so one of them is more of a I feel like I was more of like a mission we're gonna be the bully we're gonna go out and uh, push the pace and the other one is more have fun just go out there and have fun and create positions and so one thing I picked up from Kale was that having fun and um, wrestling to score points and he held that standard so like if there was guys that there were some guys on our team that could win matches but it'd be by one point wouldn't be very exciting and I remember it was time to go to the Midlands championships and they weren't on the roster and they weren't their starter so Midlands was kind of like their national tournament and when they weren't on the roster they're like what the heck coach we went to Midlands last year he's like how many bonus points have you scored this year what have we talked about like we're wrestling to score points. The difference between a good and a great team is bonus points. And if you're not wrestling like that, you're not going to work. You're not going to go to that. And so when guys kind of saw things like that, a lot of people make a standard, but when it comes down to it, they're like, ah, but this guy could maybe score some points. So we're going to let him in. And he held to that standard and that philosophy. And I have a ton of respect for that. And I learned a lot from it. Yeah. yeah one thing I'd say that, I've, we've all gotten better with over time that I think is one of the biggest struggles for coaching is when you're trying to break down a technique that you want guys to buy into, showing it in a way that they can attach to and using terminology that they can relate to. Like uh, a lot of coaches will show an action, they'll show it slow once or twice and they'll do it fast once and say, all right, break, do it. Instead of intricately breaking down each part, each minute detail, and then saying something that relates. I remember like, when Travis will show like a, a double leg fake and he'll drop his level, he'll like drop his butt down and say like, uh, see guys like I'm Beyonce right here. I'm dropping it low and just little things like that to get him to chuckle and just relate to what, what am I doing? I'm dropping that. And when they can have something funny, keep their attention and use like terminologies, like on a fake, like I'm like Houdini here because my hands are going back, but my chest is going forward or just, small things that they can think about to make the technique successful, I think helps a lot. And a, a common thing like on the one time fast and then show it 
or show it slow twice and one time fast and then break and then you walk around and half the guys aren't doing it wrong and a, a common uh, mindset might be like those guys suck they can't even do the move i just showed it's not even that hard when realistically you probably drilled it thousands and thousands of times and it's muscle memory now and new techniques don't always happen as fast as you, you want them to but if you can keep being patient with the athlete and just keep helping them figure it out in their mind it's much more beneficial and um, that's w where i've seen the biggest gains yeah no absolutely that i mean it's all great stuff to hear uh, especially for you know young coaches coming up uh, to the sport you know i got two more things i wanted to ask you guys the the first one is um specifically uva right you guys have talked a lot about uva and a lot about the how great the college is how great the program is all this kind of stuff um but you know, if I'm a recruit and I'm trying to figure out where to go, why would I pick UVA? So, I would say because – do you want me to go or do you want to? Um, go ahead. I was going to say, my upplay when I was coming out of high school, I was just thinking, where can I go to win a national title? And for us, Iowa State was it. But I think now people um, – are looking bigger picture and wrestling only lasts for so long. So a lot of people want to put themselves in the position to have the best success in life. And with that mindset, UVA is a no brainer because a degree from here actually is life changing. You can leave here in five years with a master's degree and you can have great coaching and accomplish all your wrestling goals in the process. And if you want to go an Olympic cycle route, we have the RTC in place and all those networks you gained in those five years will still be waiting for you. Yeah, I think, um, too, with uh, UVA, Trent mentioned with the Masters, like at Iowa State, I looked at getting my Masters after I graduated, and it was a two-year process, and I was training at the time, going overseas a lot, and so it, it really wasn't very feasible, um, but here, you look at it, and they have 12-month programs, and when you can graduate in five years with a Masters, I mean, that separates you. If you have a pile of... Um, resumes you have that master's from UVA that's going to put you probably near the top of the pile and I, I mentioned it's really hard to get into school here and we have that slot system but once you get into school the academic resources they have it's like it's second to none um, at Iowa State it was eight hours of study hours and it was just kind of like serving your time you clocked in you did whatever you clocked out you made sure you get eight hours in the week but there wasn't a lot of supervision I remember at least when I was in college Guys would clock in, watch a movie on their laptop, and clock out. It was kind of a waste of time. But here, it's not time-oriented. It's um, task-oriented. So guys will come in, and they'll meet with a mentor or a tutor, and they'll be like, all right, you have a test on Tuesday. You have a paper due Thursday, and you have this assignment. So you can't leave here until you get two pages, two pages of this uh, paper typed up, and you finish this assignment. So once you finish that, you're done. And so the task-oriented system is great. And we have someone full-time for wrestling, doing their schedules, getting them help when they need it. And so we have a 100% graduation rate with guys that stuck through for um, four years. Everyone graduated and everyone's in their field of choice. And so, I mean, if, when you're around some of the guys on our team, uh, you wouldn't think, man, these guys are really smart. You must have to be Einstein. You Sometimes you'd probably be like, how the hell did this guy get into school here? <laughs> and so credit to um, our academic resources because 
they do a great job. Our team GPA this past semester was 3.5. And that's, that's just a huge statement with us. Okay. Uh, that's just a statement to um, what we can do here. And with um, what Trent was mentioning, so when we were graduating, we, were, we wanted to go somewhere to win a national title. And we're, we're producing All-American. We had two All-Americans this past year, but we've had two NCAA finalists in the past. It'd be four years now with um, Mueller and DiCamillo. And so that puts us in, I think there's only six programs in the country that that has done that. And so we are consistently turning out guys in the hunt for a national title. So it's not anymore. You can just come here and get set, set up for life with the academics. You can come here and be in the hunt for a national title. You can come here and make world teams. You can come here and uh, give yourself the best possible chance to win at the highest level and get all those other things. And so that's what we're working on building. And yeah. sprinkle on top of that, that Charlottesville, Virginia is one of the most de desirable places to retire in the country. I mean, it's, it's like paradise out here. And I say that coming from Iowa, so I might be a little bit more appreciative, but like we're surrounded by the Blue Ridge Mountains. The campus was founded by the third president. There's all kinds of historical sites all around town. Um, Dr. Seuss and Thomas Jefferson's mansions overlook the campus. Uh, our guys have all kinds of, we, uh, during preseason, we, we run up Humpback, which is a mile straight up and you can see the whole city at the top. Uh, there's rock quarries where the guys go cliff jumping. There's all kinds of fishing, bow hunting, trap hunting. I mean, if you think of uh, kayaking, whitewater rafting, like there's literally anything you would want to do outside, it could be done in Charlottesville. And I remember one shocking moment for me, like uh, my first year here, it was mid-January, and I was, I was outside grilling in a T-shirt, and that would never happen in Iowa, and I would FaceTime friends and family back home. And they're like, F you, it's negative 20 here. And I was like, oh, yeah, sucks to suck. This is awesome. Like, <laughs> so it's not just obviously the academics and the, uh, and the coaching and all your – but it's, it's a really, really cool place to live, especially when you're committing five to eight years of your life to do it. So it's a win-win all around. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big part of it. You definitely want to like where you're living. Uh, yeah. But I'll end up with this. So, um, you know, what can – Cavalier fans look forward to for this season for for the college year for the college season just uh, a buy-in of that mindset of out tough out attack and you're not going to go to a UVA wrestling duel and be bored we're going to go out there wrestling to score points and have fun and and uh, we want to be team known for uh wrestling to dominate like we want our opponents to walk off the mat and think win lose or draw I never want to wrestle that guy again and it's if you want to be a world beater in a competition, you got to be a world beater every day in the room. And so that's how we're challenging guys and, and buying into that. And so I think that's one thing. We had a young team and people saw growth. And so I think you're going to see a lot more maturity and depth and more veterans and just kind of that mindset. And when you don't see it, call us out, call them out because that's the standard and everyone needs to be held accountable. Awesome. Yeah, Travis kind of nailed it. Awesome. That sounds good. Well, uh, I'm sorry I took up so much of you guys' time. I had fun chatting. Uh, we'll definitely have to do it again, but that's all I got. And uh, I hope you guys have a great day, and I'll talk to you next time. All right, all right. cool. No thanks, problem. Jason. Yeah, thanks for having us. Go, dude.